All right. We are in, again, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And Jesus is con uh, continuing with a series of unbelievably powerful statements. He has already told the disciples that they will do greater works than he has. And we've talked about that. Prior to that, he's told the disciples that nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, him himself. And so as you see the world coming together in terms of what Jesus says, the reason for his life here and his death, you, you see the fact that Jesus is preparing the disciples that he is going to leave them. And since he is going to leave them, he is preparing them for that separation and promising him, promising the disciples that he will pray for them, that he will be available for them to listen to their prayers. How appropriate based on what we heard today. And so this whole lesson is going to be devoted to how Jesus says, how Jesus tells his disciples, how he expects us to pray, what the, what the paradigm of prayer is about, and how our prayers are going to be answered. So turn, if you would, to John chapter 14. Let's begin uh, with verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Whoa. That's a big deal. Uh, and so many of you are saying right now, gee, John, I've asked Jesus for a lot of things, and somehow I'm not getting answers to these things. And so the question becomes, theologically, what does Jesus expect you to ask for? How are you asking it? How, how do we approach the throne of God? Um, and what can we do to put ourselves in a position so that, in fact, our prayers will be answered. And so the point of this is that Jesus is emphasizing to the disciples that prayer is going to remove the distance between earth and heaven. He's already promised them they will do greater things. And so now he's telling them one of the ways that they will do greater things is through prayer. And so God is preparing them for that absence. And so the question becomes why many of us are not getting our prayers answered. And I would say, based on this study, that most likely, and I put myself in that category with you as well, is that many of us pray foolishly and selfishly in a self-centered aspect. We have approached God as if he was our personal concierge. I need this. I need that. I want this. I want that. There's a laundry list that we all have in which we we wind up treating God as if he were your personal concierge. And so what you're going to see here in a, in a multiple level of paradigms is that God is not your personal concierge. God knows what you need. He also knows what you want, and your wants may not be consistent with your needs. And so as we pray, we ask God for everything within his divine will. And often in his divine will, our selfishness, our personal needs are not within his ambit. Um, and so we need to understand this in order to get to the point that our prayers would be answered. 
And yet when we study this, we see that there are certain people in the Bible who had an expectation that their prayers would be answered, and in fact, their, their prayers would be answered. And so the first condition of answered prayer is that you have to accept Jesus Christ. Let me make that clear. God has not promised to answer the prayers of a lost world. If someone is lost and is approaching the throne and is seeking wisdom uh, and closeness and proximity to Jesus Christ, God will answer that prayer. But there is no expectation, no promise that God is going to answer the prayers of anyone who is not a Christian. Why do I say that? Because the very essence of what Jesus is saying in these verses is that, that you can only approach the throne of God in the name of Jesus, cloaked in the power of Jesus Christ. That's the essence of how those prayers get through the ceiling and get to heaven, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, and this is an important thing to understand. Uh, God may have mercy from time to time in answering prayers from some people who are not Christians, but the essence of if he does that, it is to bring people closer to the cross, to bring them to faith. The second thing that you learn in reading these verses and understanding this, and it's point four in my outline, is what is meant in the phrase, in my name. Asking for God's intervention through Jesus in my name. This is a big deal. Many of us really may cloak the prayer in the name of Jesus, may finish the prayer in the name of Jesus, but the entire prayer is not really wrapped in the name of Jesus. And by that I mean we often make our prayers consistent with the fact, God, you know my biography. Lord, I'm a Bible teacher. I've lived my life for you. I've brought people to Christ. Lord, you know the work I'm doing. I'm down at the homeless shelter, all right? I'm up at Helps Outreach. I'm doing so many things for you. Lord, you need to listen to my request. That's a prayer that goes like this before God. Zoop. Okay? God is not interested in your personal biography when you pray. The only prayer that gets listened to by God is a prayer entirely wrapped in the name of Jesus. And by that I mean this, that you understand that you don't deserve intervention by God. I don't care what your good works are, what you've done. None of us is deserving of intervention by a divine presence. It is only through the, the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ that you are able to approach the throne. It is it within that paradigm and that confine. And so we need to understand that. And so if you approach this, if you make your prayers based on any basis other than the fact God is reaching out to you in his grace and mercy, your prayer's not going to be answered. You're not deserving of an answer. Your righteousness is filthy rags. Don't ever go there uh, and approach that on the basis of, God, you need to listen to me because I'm really an important person in the kingdom of God. Don't go there. That's not a good thing, and yet many of us uh, really silently do this. We may not publicly do it, but we silently do it. 
Uh, none of us has a claim, a personal claim on God. Our entire claim comes symbiotically through the grace of Jesus Christ, through that death on the cross. Now, there's another point to make here as we, we listen to these verses and Jesus talks about the fact that he will be there and he will answer everything that we ask for. Uh, and the question is, we need to pray in the name of Jesus as one who lives the life of Christ. What do I mean by that? We would want to pray the way Jesus would pray, how Jesus would look for his prayers. And you never once saw Jesus making a personal request of God. He never once said, God, I need this. God, I need this. Constantly, Jesus is looking to glorify the Father. Use me, Father. Use my life to be able to go out into this world and to glorify you. Whatever miracles were done, they weren't done for the sake of Jesus looking like he was a powerhouse. Instead, they were looking to reflect the power of God. And that's how your prayer needs to be made. Not selfishly, not self-centeredly, but rather in the, in the framework that Jesus has taught us, in the framework of love, living a life consistent with the way Jesus lived his life. That's why Jesus' prayers were answered. That's why Jesus lived the life he did, because he was totally focused on glorifying the Father. And so in your prayer life, in your prayer life now, as you approach the throne, you need to be conscious of that. You need to say to God, God, I'm asking you for power in my life so that I can live a life consistent with your will. Lord, I need you to take these things out of my heart that shouldn't be there. Help me, Lord, to be more like Jesus in my life. Help me, Lord, to be able to glorify Jesus when I meet people. Help me, Lord, to be able to speak about Jesus. Help me, Lord, to have a life that mirrors Jesus. And you're going to see those prayers answered. Uh, even as you may be going through trials, and difficulties. I mean, and we talked about it this morning when you see this, the image of Naomi and you see bitterness. Don't ever, don't ever walk down that path, even as difficulties come into your life, because I want you to know something. Scriptures tell us that God knows your needs before you ask for them. He knows what you need even before you ask. So what does that mean? It means this, that even when you're praying, you don't need to articulate what your real need is. God already knows what it is. And so he wants to see if your prayer life now, if your prayer life is in accordance with Jesus' will and what we've seen here. This is a very important lesson that I'm going to spend time on because I think so many of us have misconstrued, misconstrued uh, what prayer is like. And you know, a lot of this uh, fault I put at the... At the uh, right before tele-evangelists, because you know, you see these guys on TV, and what do they say? You know, God wants you to have a bigger house. God wants you to drive a bigger car. God wants you to go on more vacations. I don't know. I don't have that in my Bible. Is that in your Bible? Because maybe I have to get a different version, all right? Because I don't have that in my Bible. Everything I see in my Bible, and I look back at the first 12 guys, hey, it didn't work out so great for them. You understand? Not in terms of the world. They all died. They were all martyred, all 11 of them. So don't be giving me this, this uh, uh, rule that, that God wants nothing but more physical blessings in your life. He wants spiritual blessings in your life. 
And so then you hear these guys say, well, I'll send send bucks and I'll send you a prayer handkerchief. You can put it on the dashboard of your car and you're going to be guaranteed you're going to see this. And I knew poor people that fell for this. I mean, really, this is so evil. Twisting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you're hearing from me is really the essence of what Jesus wants you to do with your life. Okay? I'm giving you the straight gospel of Jesus Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I know that your heart is saying to you right now, Amen. And here's the test on all of this. If you hear someone preaching and they do not uplift Jesus Christ, then it is not the inspired word of God. Amen? That's the litmus test I just gave you. You hear someone preaching and instead they're lifting themselves up, talking about themselves, pointing the spotlight about themselves, and maybe they're using Jesus to make themselves look better. That's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit makes us put our face in the dust, puts our face in the dust, submitting to God. And so you see this here, even as, as we are learning to, to, as Jesus has taught us how to pray. And so effectively, if I can summarize what I've just said, praying in the name of Jesus means, first, we must be Christians, we must be believers. Second, we are approaching God based entirely on the merit of Jesus Christ, not in any way based on your own personal merit. And see, living a life consistent with how Jesus would want us to live. As we obey him, as we do his commands, Jesus empowers us, answers our prayers as he, as he recognizes that these prayers are consistent with the Christian life and would lead others to, to God. Lead other people to God. That's why you're here. You're here in this world for one reason. You're here to be a messenger of God. Let me tell you something. You have to get that through your heads. You're not here basically to, to lead a, a life that's, that's happy, to lead a life of leisure. And even as you've come to Naples, I know many of us have come to Naples saying, this is good, my golden years, I'm going to play golf, I'm going to go out boating, I'm going to go fishing. Hey, all that stuff is good, but I'm going to tell you something. The prime reason God has kept you around is to deliver the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's why you're around. And whether he lets you live to your 80, 90, or 100, that's the reason. And so many of us have not come to terms with that. We haven't done that. And and so we have to understand that this is the rules that God has given to us. This is how we're supposed to live. I'd like you now to turn, if you would, to Matthew 6. Because it's so appropriate now, as we study what Jesus is saying, that anything you ask for, I will grant. I'm there to answer your prayers. I'm going to be there by the Father. And so I've already laid out for you what it means when he says that, how it's not about every, every little selfish whim that comes into our heart, but really the essence of, of serving a godly life that will lead glory to God. So if you see here, we're going to study uh, for the next few minutes the Lord's Prayer and see what Jesus says about it because, because it's an excellent example of how God wants us to pray. In verse 5, Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, and this is Jesus, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. This is one of the things that sickens Jesus 
And you see him talking about it often. The, the people that would stand in the temple and go, oh, yes, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like my neighbor. I thank you, God, that I'm not like this guy who lives next door. You have di differentiated me. That is, that is a repugnant prayer, okay? That's not getting to the throne of God. That's not getting through the ceiling of your house, all right? And you see that. God, God doesn't want you to be making these public prayer demonstrations as if you are a pious person, separate and apart from the rest of the world. That is not how God wants you to pray. As he said here, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, which I think is probably not too much of a reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. How do you like that? You want to be heard? You want God to hear your prayer? Your prayer? Do it privately. Go into your room. Go into a closet. Go by yourself. Go into your car. Go for a walk. All right? It's not just in a closet. It's every place that you can go and separate yourself apart from the distractions of this world, and you can speak to God in a submissive way, in a bowing way, knowing that he is, a, he is the divine creator of the universe. And somehow, he has deigned to give you access to his throne. Oh, dear God. Can you believe that, that that has happened, that God has done that, has allowed you as his creation to approach the throne of God? And that's how you need to pray. And Jesus is making it very, very clear. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And let's understand that. That doesn't mean that every single thing you pray for is going to be given to you. Because as you're praying to God, now not as a concierge, but as your Savior, as your Creator, and you are asking Him to bring your life in accord with His will, there are things going on in your life that may not be comfortable, may not be tasteful, may actually border on suffering and persecution, and yet God is using them to form you. You saw that this morning in Naomi. Uh, instead of recognizing that she was in the hand of God, that God was going to do something with her, and through her she would effectively be within the lineage of Jesus Christ. Yet she did not recognize that because she didn't really see the grace of God in her life, was focusing instead on the, on the momentary thorns in the flesh. Don't do that. Understand that as you're praying with God and have this relationship with God, that yes, sometimes the hedge of protection comes down. Yes, sometimes there's some pain in our life. But Romans 8, 28 tells you, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and call according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not happenstance things. Your life is not an accident waiting to unfold. You're not like the rest of the world. God has put you in a place and has demonstrated to you that he loves you and will be with you for all your days. And so even though you may be going through hard times, I want you to know something. God has got you covered. And continuing on, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Oh, boy. You've seen that. You've seen some people put a prayer together 
that, that frankly looks like a work of literature. Oh, and the Hittites surround us in the mountainside. God, you are aware of the enemies in the mountains. I've seen these kind of prayers. And God is telling you, don't, don't go there. Don't go making an eloquent prayer because you think the eloquence is what's needed in order to come to God. There's other verses that tell us that merely a sigh, that when you are a born-again Christian and sometimes your heart is so heavy you can't even articulate the nature of the prayer that you will go, oh, and God through the Holy Spirit answers that sigh. That's an amazing thing. And so the articulation of it is not what's necessary. It's the heart. Um, and, and, and this is so poignant uh, to me as you, as you understand that. And I know some people who feel like they have to pray in the same language of the King James Bible. I grew up with a lot of those people. That a good prayer, you really want a good prayer, you better have a lot of thou, shalt, you know, all the language from that period of time, because after all, that's how Jesus spoke, you see. If Jesus spoke in that language, you should be using the same language if you want God to hear it. Look, look, God loves you. He expects you to approach him the way you would approach your father, in perfect love. And so that's what this is about, is, is God is teaching us how to pray. And then it says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. This is a very important point because many of us think that God does not know what we need. Am I right? Oh, God. Oh, oh, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I need. I have a list here that I've made up for you. There's 14, there's 14 points. I really need this, God. And if you love me, you'll deliver. Look, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Your better prayer would be, Lord, conform my life under your will. Lord, help me to be submissive to your will. Lord, take the anger and the resentment and the bitterness out of my life. Help me, Lord, to be a mirror for Jesus Christ to a world. Wow, that's a prayer. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a prayer that's going to get answered. And yet God knows what you need. So just because you didn't articulate it, doesn't mean that God's shunting it aside. God's going to answer and give you what you need, not what you want. Because here's the deal, folks. If God gave us what we wanted, he probably would never see us again in church. All right? Maybe you're different. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're an exception. Uh, but one of the holiest men I ever knew, my father said to me that he recognized early on that God intended him to be poor his whole life. Uh, and he said the reason for that was he recognized that if he was not poor, that most likely he wouldn't be preaching the word of God. And that was the call on his life. So if somebody that righteous can say something like that, then that resonates with me, that God knows exactly what he can give us and what he does and what we shouldn't have. And so now look at the model prayer. And I know you've seen this prayer. I know you've said it yourself uh, a million times. Many of us said it in, in school growing up. I mean, I was uh, old enough to be able to say this prayer in grammar school. That never happened now, but that was a regular way we started school, and I'm sure many of you fall into the same category that I did. 
And so here's what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the opening stanza for how Jesus is telling you to pray. What does it mean? It means the acknowledgement is God, you are great. God, you created me. You are the God of the universe. You sit there in heaven above everything. I bow in submission to your glory. I want you to know, God, I know who you are, and everything that I do bows before your name. Oh, you don't see anything. God, please, I need this. I want this. You have to do this. No, you don't see that. Jesus is saying in the model prayer, you first approach the throne of God and bow in submission. You bow before God, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your name, God, is special. Your name is divine. Your name is exalted. I bow before your name. I want you to know I recognize this, and I bow before it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First request. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that your will in this world, in this lost world, be in accordance with your will in heaven. Not only that, but within that prayer, that means I pray also that I will be within your will. I want to be within your will, Lord. Make me in accord with your will. Everything that I'm going to say here now, Lord, it has to be within your will. If I make a request that's outside of your will, don't give it to me. Now, have you said that? Have you said that? Because if you've said that, then you are praying the way God wants you to pray. Lord, your will in every essence. And that's, you see this powerful model prayer um, as he's doing it today. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even though this, this planet is sold out to Satan, that wherever we walk, Lord, we want to leave the perfume of Jesus Christ. And so we ask God, as we do that, to make it your will. Make your will where we are. Comport us so that we become examples of your will. Give us today our daily bread. There it is. It's the first personal request. We've all gone through the preludes in which we've acknowledged the divinity and sovereignty of God. We've asked that overall that the world be conformed to his will and everything that's done. And now Jesus tells you, now ask, ask, forgive us today our daily bread. And what does that mean? It means this. God is saying there, you don't have to go asking God to lift up your 401k, which you're going to cash in in 10 years. Or get that stock at a cheap price that you can hold because 15 years down the line, it's going to be worth a lot of money. God isn't interested in that. He's interested in giving you your daily bread. Now, bread in this context is symbolic. Here, bread is the basic building block of life. Without bread, none of these societies during this period of time would survive. They needed bread. It was the basic food group that they all had. Bread was the basic uh, example of sustenance. Give us, Lord, 
today what we need to survive today. I'm worried about you today. I love you so much, God, that I know you'll take care of me tomorrow. But today, I'm asking you for the bread that I need today. And bread symbolically there means all of the basic necessities of life. Give me, Father, what you know that I need to keep me within the cross. Uh, And this is a great lesson for us uh, because many times we're praying for far more grandiose things than give us our daily bread. And yet this is what God wants you to pray for. Your daily bread, your daily line, your daily reliance. I have to rely on you, God, and that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to rely on you in a daily way. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is a big one. This is a big one. Because here you see that there's some equipoise being drawn up in which Jesus is saying that you need to ask God to forgive you your trespasses in the same vein that you have forgiven other people's trespasses against you. Ooh, I don't know if I want to pray for that, some of you are thinking. That means I'm saying to God, God, if I'm not doing the job here and I somehow have a bitterness in my life against somebody, then you're not going to forgive me. Now, let me make this clear theologically how, how this has to be read. This is not being read in the terms of overall salvation. Let's not make that mistake. God has given you life eternal when you came to Jesus Christ. He has forgiven your sins, and you are guaranteed life forever. Amen? Amen. But, but here's the difference. If you were to equate this and say, well, I think what Jesus is saying is I will, not, I will not be forgiven by God for purposes of salvation because I have not forgiven others. You know where you're going? You're going back to works. You're working your way back into salvation. All the things we talked about, about you being saved, had nothing to do with your works but the mercy and grace of God. And so this verse cannot be interpreted that way. Rather, this verse needs to be interpreted in this way, in your daily walk. As you walk in a sin-filled world, you are going to come across evil. And as you come across evil, it's going to slap up and hit you and surround you. And now in your walk as a triumphant Christian, as an example of mirroring the life of Jesus Christ, are you going to let that debris come up and stick to you and you being bitter and angry and therefore affect your Christian life or are you going to ask God to forgive you? Are you going to ask for forgiveness? Are you going to forgive others? Because if you don't, then you will not have a triumphant walk with Christ. There's the difference. There's the differential. It's important to parse this out. And so you want to have a triumphant walk with Christ. You want to be with Jesus. You want to show the world that you're a Christian. And as you do that, you need to forgive others. So many of us can't do this. Oh, you don't know how hurt I've been. It's easy for you, John. You haven't been hurt the way I've been hurt. 
Look, you've, we've all been hurt in so many different ways, whether it's relationship issues or divorce issues or business issues. The list is, is non-ending. It goes on forever. There's not a person in this room that has not experienced deep and profound hurt. But here's the question. Are you going to let that bitterness take over your life? Are you going to be governed by that hatred? Are you going to be governed by that revenge motive so that as you live the rest of your life, you are not going to be able to be a triumphant Christian? You're going to be just one of those people limping through life. Yes, God has saved you. Yes, you're going to get into heaven. But when he gets there, you're going to have a long conversation. You're going to have a long conversation because you know what God's going to say? Oh, Joe. Oh, Sandy. I had such marvelous plans for you. And you're going to sit there and you're just going to bow your head. This is what this is about. God talking to you and speaking to your heart about what he expects from you, living a triumphant life. And so we, we can only have the kind of prayer life that God wants us to have when we are forgiving others. It's as if you have a heart blockage and you're refusing to go to the hospital to get the blockage out because you know what? You kind of like the way you feel. Yeah, I can't do everything, but that's all right. I'm willing to leave along with it. So I won't exercise. I'll just go along step by step. I don't really want, you know, it hurts when I get that blockage out. I'll be in the hospital for a couple of days instead of saying, Lord, your will, forgive me. Take this root of bitterness out. Correct my life. Give me the character that I need. Those are the prayers that God answers. You see, you see how it all comes together? And then, and then as, as Jesus says here, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another great prayer in which you're saying to God, Lord, Father, don't lead me into temptation, Father. Don't allow me to fall victim to my own character. Lord, I know that I have weaknesses in my character. I know that I suffer from anger. I know that I'm, that I'm subject to revenge. I know these feelings, Lord. Don't let this do, happen to me, Father. Don't let me be tempted like this. And that's a prayer that will be answered. That's a prayer that will be answered. And so you're saying, protect me from evil. Protect me from temptation. Put a wall of protection around me. And God will do that. He will protect you. But there comes a time when sometimes God will take the wall down because he wants to prove something in your life. He wants to show you something. Um, and so as you read this and you come to terms with this, as I said in the outline, the other part about having a successful prayer life is recognize that you need to be obedient to Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will serve me. And as you love me and serve me, as Jesus says there in verse 15, that if, they, if, if his disciples love him, they will do his commands. This is another precondition to answered prayer. Are you obeying my commands? Are you living a life consistent with what you know my commands are? And I told you before that what that means is simply this. You could study ethics. You could know the precepts. You could know the rules. But without the empowering grace of Jesus Christ, you're doomed to fail. You cannot live an ethical life without the grace of Jesus. That's what the world doesn't get through their thick skulls. All right? Only through the grace of Jesus, as you see it, 
obeying Jesus and through obeying Jesus, his grace coming into his presence. Uh, and so uh, this is, this is cre- a key thing. In or- so that we need to be assured of God's saving work in our lives. None of this, however, means that we obey God completely even as we walk as a Christian. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How about that? So as we do this and we talk about what your prayer needs to be, uh, and verse 9 continues, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. And so even though we call ourselves Christians and even though we love Christ and even though we submit ourselves to Christ and even though we understand the rules of prayer, we still will fall into sin. And falling into sin doesn't mean that you're lost. Again, it means that you've allowed the dirt of this world to come up and hit you. And that, again, we get back to the washing and the prayer life and the repentance. All of that being, being clear. And so we are then led, as we understand the obedience that God wants us, into what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. Turn to John 13, the Gospel of John 13. Verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. That's the essence of a Christian life. And so you know that in another passage, God has distilled all the law, all the law into the two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself and worship the Lord your God with God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And all the other things fall into line with those two things. Love your neighbor. Love one another. Love the church. Love your Christian brothers and sisters in this room. Hurt when they hurt. Be in a position when you know what they need. When you have a a heart of love, you will seek to embody Jesus Christ in everything you do. And through that, as you love, as you you embrace each other, the, the grace of God is poured into your life. And you will get closer and closer to the cross. And your life will mirror the life of Jesus Christ. And people will see you and they will be attracted to you and you will be able to bring the gospel to a lost world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words as you have taught us how to pray, what we ought to do, Lord, and what our heart needs to be like as we look to you to answer our prayers as you have promised us that you will answer and remember our prayers. Lord, I pray that this grows in our heart this week. Bless our men and women. Be with them this week. 
be wherever they are, protect them in everything they do, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word next Sunday. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.